0: Today is backup quarterback day here on Locked On Vikings. We're talking about Jake Browning, Sean Mannion, and the backup quarterback battle. A little bit about Nate Stanley, too. Welcome to Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find the show wherever you find your favorite shows, or you can always ask your smart device to play podcast, Locked On Vikings. But before we get into most of the backup quarterback stuff, a quick update. I won't go too deep into all of these uh, every day because there's a lot of negotiation that is still going on between the NFL and the NFLPA, but there were a couple of developments that happened, so I'll rattle them off real quick. The NFLPA informed reporters on Tuesday that the zero preseason games plan is all but official, so that's going to happen. They also are pretty close to hashing out an opt-out clause for players who are at risk, immunocompromised, or have family members with something like that, or just don't want to risk getting COVID-19 to play football. And they will also very likely be shrinking rosters down to 80 players. The Vikings specifically have 87 on the roster right now, so that would mean making 7 cuts before training camp begins. According to the NFLPA's website, 95... Uh, NFL staff members have tested positive for the coronavirus and 59 of them are players. The rest is like staff or league officials or whoever else. Of course, there's a lot to talk about with the rosters reducing down to 80 players. There are some players like Demarcus Gates, who we talked about last week, who has been cut before camp twice and never really has had a fair shake to make an NFL team. This could happen to him again. He's definitely one of the players that would be considered other players, including all of the undrafted free agents, all the CFL guys like Berlin Addison and uh, Marcus Sales. But I figure we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Instead, I want to talk today about the backup quarterbacks, and I want to start with Jake Browning. You're actually going to hear quite a few parallels between Jake Browning's story and Sean Mannion's story, and even Nate Stanley's story, which we told uh, a week or two ago. So Jake Browning's dad was Ed Browning, who was a quarterback at uh, Oregon State. So he actually probably grew up, like, in high school. He probably watched Sean Mannion and, was like, rooted for him all the time. Uh, but he was, like, a big you know, Beavers fan growing up. And in high school at Folsom, he was just unreal, like this absolutely highly touted prep quarterback. He was recruited in the same class as like Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, and he was seen to be kind of in the same category as those players. And it ended up coming down to Washington and Boise State, and both of those schools were down to Jake Browning and Brett Rypian who you might remember as another mid-round draft quarterback. I don't exactly know where he ended up. But it was down to, like, those two players. And it was essentially for Washington where Jake Browning wanted to go – It was basically whichever one of those two handed in their commitment first, and Jake Browning won that out by a day. So that's how he ended up being a Washington Husky in the first place. And as a Washington Husky, he was, again, just like white hot on fire and the first true freshman to start week one in Washington Huskies history, uh, notably, comparably to Jared Goff, who did the same thing at UCLA. And with quarterbacks, you often get this like kind of golden boy thing where there is these, just these players, especially quarterbacks who are early in their careers and their careers that are going to end up making it to the NFL. So I'm talking about them. There is this idea of them being this, this like put on this pedestal and, and like lifted up to have the highest possible expectations. And to Jake Browning's credit, in 2016, which is his sophomore year, he delivers on that and he gives Washington their first conference championship in forever, and a college playoff berth. But unfortunately, that kind of turns out to be the peak for Jake Browning in Washington. And the next few years, uh, 2017 and 2018 after that, kind of decline, and he never gets to really recapture that glory. And so he kind of gets that same. It's very similar to what we talked about with Nate Stanley. Again, go listen to that if you didn't catch it. But It's that similar kind of mixed feeling mixed bag when you become like the legacy of it. He starts 53 games with Washington. He is like the Washington Huskies, the identity of them, the face of them for years. And for a lot of the kids who go there like kids in his uh, graduating class, that's all they know is that Jake Browning is our quarterback. And you know, like that's like, like their whole time in college. And with that comes a lot of controversy because he does have like some spottier moments in those last couple of years. And so there's all these arguments about if Jake Browning is good or not. And if you ask a Washington Huskies fan, you know, you can ask 10 of them, and you'll probably get 10 different opinions. So by the time his senior year is over and he actually is going out for the draft, he's just sort of a guy. And he declares for the draft, but among the 2019 class of quarterbacks, he doesn't get drafted. He is not that high on the the list, which is a a pretty far slip from the highly touted, you know, one of the best prep quarterbacks in the country when he came out of high school. But the Vikings are really interested in in him after the draft, and he actually signs a huge priority free agent deal, like one of the bigger free agent deals, kind of similar to uh, Neville Clark and Courtney Davis, what they did in the 2020 undrafted free agent class. The Vikings throw the bag at him, metaphorically like a $100,000 contract or something like that, which is crazy for an undrafted free agent. So he comes in, and now it's time to try and make the Vikings. But he has to contend with, of course, he's not going to beat out Kirk Cousins, right? He's not going to beat out, probably not going to beat out Sean Mannion, uh, who I, again, I'm pretty sure he watched growing up, which is really cute. Uh, But then he has to basically take the roster spot away from Kyle Sloter, And the Vikings are a three-quarterback team. So having that kind of cousins mannion Sloter as the developmental guy formula is the Formula that they like, so he has to kind of take that developmental guy role away from Kyle Slaughter. And the way he does it is a a reasonable pre- preseason performance, though nothing particularly special. But mostly by being very meticulous. Ever since he was about nine or ten, he was mentored by a guy named Troy Taylor, who was the uh, high school coach at Folsom when he was a, a prep god. And basically like brought him up from childhood to be a a quarterback. And the high school system puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback to uh, really read the field and really be cerebral more than I think most high school systems do. And that's kind of what made Jake Browning's mental game develop the way that it did. So 2019, the Vikings only actually roster Cousins and Mannion, but they end up choosing Jake Browning over Kyle Sloter to be the guy on the scout team. And that means that the quarterback room, which has become something of a thing over the course of the 2019 season with Cousins and Mannion, they become a little bit of a posse. And I'll talk a little bit more about that dynamic a little later in the show. Uh, I'll also talk about Sean Mannion's similar, but not entirely the same story coming right up. Sean Mannion grew up in Pleasanton, California, where the high school, Foothill High School is the high school there, and the coach is Matt Sweeney. And Sean Mannion's father, John, who also was a coach, really good friends with Sweeney for years and years and years. So Sweeney, like, watched Sean Mannion grow up. So he always kind of thought that he was going to coach his best friend's kid, and he was always really, really excited about that, and the two families grew really, really close as the kids kind of grew up. But then, right before Sean Mannion was actually enrolling in high school, uh, his dad takes a coaching job in Silverton and ends up picking up the family and moving there. So Matt Sweeney doesn't get to coach Sean Mannion, but they still remain very, very close friends. Uh, John and Sean Mannion absolutely lighted up in Silverton, and Sean Mannion has a great prep career, too. He's a four-star recruit, and he ends up going to Oregon State bunch of OSU in this episode today. And for his whole time there, that whole gang, uh, Sean's parents, and the Sweeney's all get together to watch OSU games, and they actually make it out when they can. So Sean Mannion redshirts in his first year, and then in year two, during uh, some of the summer drills, he ends up having to actually fill in during a blitz drill. So they were having some injury issues. There were two quarterbacks at OSU at the time who were ahead of uh, Sean Mannion on the depth chart. Both of them were dealing with injuries, and Sean Mannion actually had to play with the ones during a blitz drill. And that's a drill for the defense, but as the quarterback, you're basically getting blitzed every play, and this is like really high pressure, really difficult to succeed drill. And there are 12 reps. He goes 12 for 12, completes all of the passes. And at that point, uh, Danny Langsdorf, who is the OC there at the time, is crazy impressed. Two games into the season, he is officially named the starters as as injuries and other struggles persist with the other two guys. And now he's the starter. He's going to be the OSU Beaver. Later in that season, uh, he ends up touring a guy named, you may have heard of, named Isaac Siumalo, who he plays for the Eagles now, but he was touring for OSU at the time as a recruit, and he ends up meeting up with this girl, Megan, who he had liked for a while. They had a bunch of mutual friends, and it was in that moment that he finally had mustered up the courage to ask her out to a date watching the NFC Championship game in the 2011 playoffs between the Giants and 49ers. Remember the one where he fumbled the punt? She said yes, and they are now married, and what a fun little meet-cute over football. And Megan had grown up in a bit of a football family, too, so she's definitely no stranger to it in the culture, and that's why she was friends with all the football players. So that is one person who's pacing back and forth every time Sean Mannion uh, takes the field. Over the course of Mannion's career at Oregon State, he ends up uh, setting the Pac-12 record for passing yardage over uh, college career in what is kind of a tumultuous season for OSU. So it doesn't exactly get the fanfare that it maybe deserves because it's overshadowed by them like not being very good, getting blown up by Stanford and stuff that season but it gets him a third-round draft selection with the Rams, and then everything quiets down, because Sean Mannion never gets to start. He has two starts under his belt, one in a meaningless Week 17 game in 2017, or, uh, yeah, 2017 with the Rams, and once in a meaningless Week 17 game in 2019 with the Vikings. This is the only two times Sean, Sean Mannion has actually taken the field in regular season action, and neither of them, they were both, like, glorified preseason games. So he kind of had to settle into the other role, the backup role, the clipboard guy. And that is a role that there are a lot of people kind of throughout the history of the game that have sort of settled into that role. And a lot of, like the Kellen Moores of the world, and a lot of times they end up being offensive coordinators could totally see Sean Mannion taking that route as well after he retires. Uh, but, you know, you get, I guess, a different experience of the NFL when you are not the guy who's taking the heat when there's an interception and your whole role is to basically be the objective voice in the guy's ear every time as he comes off the sideline, be that guy, uh, you know, Jared Goff or Nick Foles, I think, I forget who it was when he was first drafted or, uh, or Kirk Cousins. There's no glamour in that role. You kind of lose that golden boy thing that every quarterback gets, uh, but maybe coming off of, you know, an up and down tenure at OSU as, I mean, he, he, set a record and he had a good enough personal performance, but OSU, the Beavers themselves, weren't great during his time there. And so maybe you kind of shed all that pressure and you get to just sort of study the game. And he has sort of grown to love that role, that backup role, with his time in the Rams, his time with the Vikings. And there's sort of a difference in the way that backup quarterbacks help the quarterback in their preparation and the game plan and the kind of, uh, you know, the, the strategy part of the game, part of preparation and the way that coaches will kind of approach that. And this is something that I hear a lot when you talk, especially when Mike Zimmer was always talking about Sean Mannion as a guy like in the quarterback room or a whiteboard guy. Uh, and I've kind of parroted that as well. And people would always say like, well, why don't you just hire him as a coach then and then not waste a roster spot and get a quarterback that can play a little better than Sean Mannion can. And without getting too deep into the evaluative thing, we're actually going to do that into the next segment. Yeah, Sean Mannion on the actual field leaves a lot to be desired, but the Vikings seem to be really interested in him as like a helper for Kirk Cousins and part of that quarterback room. And the way that that room conducted itself in 2019, I think is something that the coaches really, really liked and wanted to preserve headed into 2020 with just Nate Stanley kind of being the challenger there. And again, we'll talk more about that battle in a little bit. But basically, both Jake Browning and Sean Manning, even though Browning was just on the practice squad, both of those guys basically follow Kirk Cousins around everywhere he goes, from the meeting rooms to the practice field, and they would end up actually staying later on the practice field than a lot of the, the players who were gonna play would, because they'd be figuring out game plan stuff. And they would basically be learning all the same things that Kirk Cousins is learning. Sean Manning, and of course he has to, right? You gotta be prepared in case you gotta go in. And Jake Browning, as more he calls himself like the scribe in kind of everything from getting snapped for the room to just writing things down and offering his thoughts when he has them. Uh, But basically, as a group, they can kind of learn better, like, over the course of the entire week. The thing about coaches is they've got other stuff to focus on, and you have limited time with them, and the rules are different with coaches. So to actually, like, install your game plan and to, like, get your quarterback to understand what you want them to do, you have very limited opportunities to interact with them. And a lot of times you have to, like, give them a... Bunch, a folder of document, you know, you have to give them the game plan and say, okay, go learn it and hope they do it right. And that's the kind of thing that makes a guy like Kirk Cousins so appealing to coaches because he always does. But being the player on the sideline and learning that alongside him, it kind of just becomes this team effort and it becomes a lot easier to like soak all of that stuff in when you have a a team to be a part of and the way that they communicate. I'll I'll link uh, an article that explains it way better than I can, but uh, the, the way that they communicate and work together helps Kirk Cousins to understand more about the team that they're about to play and the game plan they're about, they're going to apply to play that team and the strategies that they're going to, uh, employ and all that stuff. And that's really been Sean Mannion's life since he entered the NFL, but stuck behind, uh, Jared Goff, stuck behind Kirk Cousins, stuck behind whoever it was before Jared Goff. I forgot, but not too up on my Rams history. Uh, but that, is probably where Sean Mannion's going to be until somebody gets hurt in front of him and he has to actually go in and then he either has his, you know, Case Keenum moment or, you know, his Nick Foles moment or how it usually goes for other backup quarterbacks where they just kind of his map more or whatever, where they stink or they play just like whatever and the starter comes back and then it's over. So I guess in the meantime, he's kind of lying in wait for that opportunity. But for him, the way he talks about it, he seems perfectly content to be a preparer. And that's kind of why I think he might have a future in coaching once he actually retires. So let's talk about this backup quarterback position and what's going to happen to it with the combination of Mannion, Stanley and Browning and how they will kind of interact with each other, especially in a world with no preseason uh, and and kind of what sort of results we can expect from that. So stick around so we can talk a little bit more about the on-field product. Okay, so the backup quarterback position is probably going to be the only other quarterback on the roster in 2019. I would imagine with COVID, well, I don't know with COVID, maybe you would want a third guy in there just in case somebody comes down with it. You want to have extra depth with, you know, you want to have access to extra depth and stuff. Uh, but I mean, that's a really interesting, uh, way to think about like the 53 man roster. That's going to make things really weird. I just now like kind of coming to terms with that. Uh, but yeah, so there's, The backup quarterback job is really the one that we care about, though, right? If Kirk Cousins goes down, if he gets hurt, if he gets sick, who goes in? And for right now, the default is going to be that that's Sean Mannion, and Jake Browning and Nate Stanley are going to come in and try to prove that it should be otherwise. That's kind of the dynamic that we're dealing with here. And what's interesting is between Browning and Mannion, what they both put on the field is, like, pretty similar. They're both guys with arms that aren't exactly, like, prolific, or at least in terms of the pro tape that Jake Browning has put out there in the preseason. It was a lot of checkdowns, and when he did have to throw it far, it was spotty at best. They both have a couple of pretty good flashes uh, in their their time, a couple of, like, oh, wow, that was a really nice throw, but nothing that's, like, you know, the... Kirk Cousins throwing it to a deep post to Adam Thielen in the end zone in in the Lions game, the one that Thielen ended up getting hurt on. Like, no throws like that, or like the crazy rollout 50 yards down the field off platform to Stefan Diggs during the Broncos comeback. Nothing like that, but ones that are just kind of like nice and flashes that show that maybe they can be a competent quarterback, kind of mixed in with a lot of, oh my goodness, misses. Jake Browning, I think, shows a really nice pocket presence uh, in the fourth preseason game from 2019, the one against the Bills. When he went in, uh, the tackles that were in that game were like super dreadful. And so he was under pressure a ton and he had to really work a pocket and he really got to see a nice kind of uh, test case for how he behaves there. And it's pretty nice. Nate Stanley, on the other hand, of course, we only have college tape for him, but we kind of have a general uh, sense for the kind of quarterback that he is, where he is generally inaccurate and he has trouble placing the ball where he wants it. But everything else about his game is pretty good. He's a bit of a statue, a bit of a stand there kind of passer, but he does have enough athleticism to do like rollouts and stuff if you wanted him to. Uh, he's got this absolute cannon for an arm. He's got the height and all that stuff. He's got the intangibles. He can absolutely handle the mental side of the game. So the the all the other things, he kind of checks all the other boxes, but accuracy is kind of the most important box, and it's the hardest one to learn. So it would Kind of surprised me if Nate Stanley ended up knocking off both guys, especially coming in as a rookie, and the way that the Vikings value that kind of quarterback room and the study process, and especially the way Kirk Cousins values that study process. And I would not be shocked to to learn that Kirk Cousins has a say in who his backup quarterback is, because it does have a pretty big effect on his preparation. And it's just me speculating, but I wouldn't be surprised. And then there is the dreaded quarterback room thing. It is kind of the trump card where we could, I mean, we're not going to watch any preseason football, right? But we could theoretically watch a bunch of training camp passes of Sean Mannion sailing it overheads and one hopping checkdowns and playing completely awful. And he could still get the job and Mike Zimmer could come to the podium and be like, yeah, he helps Kirk prepare better. And that's going to be more important. And there is, of course, and I've talked about this a bunch, so I apologize if you've heard this before, but if you haven't, if you're new, uh, there is this sort of give and take with that, right? Because you you could, a backup quarterback is an insurance policy and you could shirk that insurance policy would be particularly unwise to do so in 2020 with that much added risk added to every player. Kirk Cousins could come down with COVID. You need a guy for three weeks. So getting rid of that insurance policy is risky, but it's extra risky this time. But that risk could be worth it if it makes Kirk Cousins 5% better on game days, right? If you take Sean Mannion away, let's let's just say you took Sean Mannion away from 2019 and Kirk Cousins makes a few worse decisions and, and gets like three or four more interceptions. Super likely the Vikings don't make the playoffs. That's, of course, a really, really extreme idea. The backup quarterback was the reason the Vikings made the playoffs. This is not the take I'm trying to get at here. Uh, but you kind of get what I'm getting at, where it probably has an effect on Kirk Cousins to to use like Madden ratings, which I hate Madden ratings, but to use them as kind of an allegory here is a scale that people tend to understand. If Kirk Cousins is an 85 and then with Sean Mannion, he's an 88, that might be worse, uh... Issuing the insurance policy, especially with Kirk Cousins' health and track record. Again, with COVID, that's a lot more difficult, so you might want somebody else to actually go in, but keep Sean Mannion on the roster. The thing about making him a coach, in addition to that kind of being a different role, and he is probably plenty good at that too, but then you would need somebody else to do the backup role, and that backup role would probably get worse. Like, somebody has to do this job, and it is a particularly mental one, and it has to be executed by a player. And the other thing is, to make Sean Mannion... Manning a coach, you also have to like coerce him to retire and he's not going to do that. But as even as like the scribe, as Jake Browning puts it, uh, he is still kind of showing out to be a pretty good quarterback room guy. And the thing about Kyle Sloter and the reason Kyle Sloter could never challenge Sean Manning is because he never could do that. He can never provide that. His preparation was actually a weakness of his, and Zimmer actually talked about it on the podium, about how Kyle Slaughter would, like, get play calls wrong, and that isn't just like, oh, he would accidentally, like, screw up a word, and it would lead to a miscommunication. He would, like, genuinely say the wrong thing, and it would call the wrong play. So it could be third and ten, and you would want to call a pass play, and Kyle Slaughter would say the wrong word, and you'd call, like, a weird swing pass that goes for minus two yards. And I know Vikings fans get absolutely beside themselves if there's a dumb play call on a third down. Uh, You know, if I mean, we got so mad at the toss plays, which was really dumb, you know. So just imagine calling the right play and then the quarterback accidentally screws it up and they call the wrong one and it fails because it was the wrong play for the down and distance. And then you as the coach get absolutely reamed for it. You're never rostering that guy, no matter how much of a gamer he is in preseason against third stringers. So that was kind of an advantage that Sean Mannion had in the 2019 battle with Kyle Slaughter. And, you know, Jake Browning was probably never going to overtake him as an undrafted rookie. But now Jake Browning's got a year under his belt. He's got a better chance, I think, to actually contend for that backup job. And as a whiteboard guy, he seems to be able to execute those duties. And so it's not nearly as much of an advantage for Sean Mannion, who is actually more accurate. I don't know if I can say that for sure, because all I have been able to really see of Jake Browning is a couple of training camp. Practices I went to last year and what I could see in the preseason. It's way too small a sample to actually have an informed opinion on this. And plus, it kind of comes down to how they actually throw in camp and in those practices which is something that we probably won't have access to anyway. So we'll kind of just have to hope the coaches are right in that regard, but I could definitely see there being a little bit more of a chance. Now, if I were to predict it, if I were to place money on it, I'd probably still or, or like come up with a betting line, I'd probably still have Sean Mannion at like -200 or something, right? Or -300 like as a favorite, but not so much of an overwhelming one that it's not even worth really paying attention to which was kind of the case in 2019. And then, of course, you always have this wild card of Nate Stanley. The thing about accuracy, and I always say you can't teach accuracy. I see very few examples of inaccurate quarterbacks becoming accurate quarterbacks through the miracle of coaching. But if you ask a quarterbacks coach that, they would probably think that I'm completely insane and that they could, you know, well, it's just about mechanics and you just have to kind of fix this hip motion or fix this thing they do with with their elbow, and then suddenly they'll be a lot more accurate. For me, I think it takes a certain feel, a certain kind of natural, like, acuity for it that's really... Really, really difficult to coach. And I think unlike like a golf swing where you can kind of point your feet the right way and be sure the ball will go there. I don't think that throwing mechanics give you that much control without a really good like spatial sense for where you're trying to put it in the first place. And power control and all that stuff, right? We see that with Josh Allen, where he can underthrow and he can overthrow, he can throw it to the moon and he can do all this awesome uh, stuff, but he can't really dial in his power perfectly, so he'll overthrow and he'll underthrow and it causes a bunch of problems, and that is, like, I think great proof of concept for the problem with accuracy as the singular weakness of a quarterback, so I definitely think Sean Mannion will still be the quarterback in 2020. I think without a preseason, too, where Sean Mannion would probably look the worst, which is just like in game. You got to be improvisational. You got to hit the throws and all that looking poor in preseason is probably the biggest weakness Sean Mannion has. And now that has been removed. So I think that he's probably just going to default into the backup quarterback position. But I'm definitely not counting Jake Browning or Nate Stanley out as guys that can kind of challenge him. And I tell you, I think it's a lot closer than it was last year. So tomorrow is the last day on the show this week. We are going to do a little bit of a special teams thing. The only stories we have left, we've gone over all 87 save uh, Britton Colquitt and uh, Austin Cutting and of course all of the like veterans that have been here forever that were very familiar with their story which I talked about at the beginning of the series uh, and I also have a really cool guest to talk about kicking and if kickers matter somebody who knows a lot more about it than I do and I learned a ton in that interview so I'm really excited to share it with you. In the meantime you can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. The show is available anywhere you find your favorite shows or you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow for a special teams extravaganza and as always, skull! all. Cool.